It's the show that makes us talk. So I went to Olive Honor's wand shop the other day and bought me a wand. Really? Yeah, but I think I made a mistake on the magic words, though, because I ended up with a pumpkin the size of a carriage and a dress. <laughs> yeah, so if you're interested in wearing a dress, that's in the closet. The carriage is outside, but remember, they disappear at midnight. Wow. What about our life? With Chris and Will. Seriously? Yes, it's the Wizarding World of Harry Potter episode. That was amusing. I know, I know. Pat on the back. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. To all our Potter fans out there, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to be talking about not only Potter, but a little bit about Universal Studios Florida. Uh, When was the first time you went to Universal Florida? Hmm. That long, huh? Yeah. It's an hour show, really. (laughs) Late 90s. All right, great. 1990s when it opened, but they had the land cleared all the way in, beginning in 1986, believe uh, it or not. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, we were there. The family and I were there. Grand opening day. It was pouring down rain. Lines were long. The rides were going in and out. We were in line for confrontation. I can remember this. And we were all the way around New York buildings in Universal. If you're familiar with that, New York Street's a pretty big area. And they had a lot of line inside. So we were half wet, you know, half dry, got all the way up to the loading platform after being in line for about, what, two hours. And it broke. So, yeah, so we had to convince them to let us come back uh, without standing in line. And they did. And it was a great ride. But, um, yeah, it was pretty good. But it was miserable with the rain and everything. But they had E.T., Jaws, Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, earthquake yeah mm-hmm. uh ghostbusters show that's right yeah they used to do that um yep. outside yep uh they had a show that was inside though that's where twister was uh-huh. uh twister replaced it uh the hitchcock exhibit uh, and our yep. barbera yeah the hannah barbera ride where yep. you can take a picture in the flintstones car yep, yep. uh hercules xena uh, attraction murder she wrote uh wild oh. wild west show i remember that one animal actors show yeah. Um, yep. They did the dynamite stunt spectacular in the lagoon. Hmm. Uh, Beetlejuice, Barney, Curious George, Firefalls Playland, Horror Makeup Show, uh, Lucy Tribute. That's right. I remember all kinds that of one. Uh, different attractions they've had. And over the years, it's, of course, changed. Yeah. And just really quickly, I have a picture with Curious George and the man with the yellow hat. That's too funny. <laughs> they also had uh, Nickelodeon Studios. Nickelodeon had actually purchased some land over there with Universal, built a studio there, and they filmed uh, Clarissa Explains It All there. I remember that show. Uh, yes, Guts. Right, um, yeah. Double Dare, all that. Eureka's Castle, Slime Time Live, right. Make the Grade. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so welcome they, Freshman, and the first season of Roundhouse, too. They did. Universal also did other um, shows in the other sound stages uh, like Wheel of Fortune, Ellen, Final Destination, Rosie O'Donnell's show. That's right, when they did their uh, traveling show. Yes, and then uh, I think right now they're doing Deal or No Deal, I think. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, they still do a lot of different And Family Feud, too. And Family Feud, yeah. They still do quite a few things. So, yeah. So it was interesting with that. And then, then in – 1999, they yes. expanded, cleared out the parking lot, and opened Islands of Adventure. Woohoo! Yes, we went to that on your birthday, actually. That's that right, year. because I remember we were going up and down the interstate, and before it was open, we would see some of the stuff that they were building, and I remember you telling me, I'm going to take you there, I'm going to take you there. Yep, they had uh, Seuss Landing, uh, Jurassic Park, Toon Lagoon, uh, Marvel, Lost Continent, uh, a lot of water rides, do them in the mornings, but now they have like the human uh, uh, dryers, so you can pay. <laughs> They're like, huge. Yeah, you can get in, pay like $5, get in there and dry off after the water rides. I'm not a big fan of water rides, so, um, but yeah, they have a lot of water rides. What is your favorite ride at Islands? Uh, Adventures of Spider-Man. Yep. Love Spider-Man. I'm a coaster fan, so I loved Hulk. And uh, Dueling Dragons, we still have our Dueling Dragons. That's right, yep. Yep, yep. And then over at Universal, what about Universal? I would say Twister when it was still there. Yeah, Twister was good. I love E.T. So you got to admit, the Flying flying Cow was really funny. Of course, of course. (laughs) But I love E.T. They need to upgrade a little bit, but I loved E.T. But another thing I also liked about it is uh, Shrek. I opened Shrek in 2003, and part of the grand opening of it is they brought in this huge, gigantic cake that they had to bring in with cranes and these large trucks, 
and they baked it inside the sound stages, and it is in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's largest cake. At the I time. remember you telling yeah, me. Yeah, green icing. It actually tasted good. Uh, they did share it with uh, the guests as well as the employees. It was nice. So look that up. That's uh, a lot of icing. Yeah, it was in 2003 for uh, Shrek. So that was memorable. But in 2010, mm. they opened up the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, dun, 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 dun. Hogsmeade. <laughs> yes. And that was exciting because I remember when we first went and we got our first thing of uh, butterbeer. I had my mohawk with blue mm-hmm. uh, on it. It was quite funny. And I remember my first butterbeer too, because they have the little frothy stuff on the top. Yes. And if, in the picture, because Chris took a picture of me t- uh, drinking the butterbeer, there was these two two teenage guys who were on the side of the picture who sort of looked like the Weasley twins. I mean, how funny is that? Interesting. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Hogsmeade opened in 2010 and then they expanded it with Diagon Alley in 2014, which I helped open. Um, That was a lot of fun. We got to taste all the different foods and experience all the different attractions before it opened. And plus, I got to see them, unfortunately, demolish Jaws and then build up the attraction. So that was fun Mm -hmm. in 2014. But, you know, another thing I wanted to tell you, uh, when you go to Universal Studios in Florida, there's a restaurant called Lombard's. It's in the San Francisco area. I used to work at that one. And it's actually two stories. And the second story, if if they let you go tour it, it's themed rooms like you're playing Clue. It's very interesting. And one of the rooms was an adventure room. And I had... I had mistaken the books to be fake because you'd think the books on the bookshelf would be fake and they weren't. I opened them up and they're actually adventure books. So we would uh, give them to the kids while the kids were playing around (laughs) waiting on their parents to finish drinking to read the adventure books. It was kind of cool. Very curious. Yeah. So go to Lombards if you can. That was actually fun. But we are going to be talking more about Harry Potter because we have the amazing he's known all across the world. Art director Alan Gilmore is going to be with us, and he's going to talk about all the insights of the films that he's worked on with Potter and outside of Potter, plus building the attractions that we helped build with him in Hollywood and in Orlando. So it's going to be exciting. So go get your wands, get your Potter set up. You want to hear this. I know you're a great Potter fan, so you're waiting to hear it mm-hmm. because um, Alan Gilmore is coming up. We want to welcome our guest, known for his amazing art direction for The Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Alan Gilmore. Hi, Alan. Hey, how's it going? Going great. So we are totally excited to have you on the show. So thank you for uh, joining us, of course. It's very kind of you to invite me. Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. We have a lot, a lot of history together, I guess. Um, you worked on The Wizarding World in uh, Orlando and Hollywood, and Willie and I also worked at The Wizarding World in Orlando and Hollywood as well. That's correct. So, well, Orlando is my second home now, I have to say. I love that town. It's great. Yes, you just you guys just opened the, uh, the Hagrid's ride. How did that go? It went really well. It was a very different kind of project. Um, we were very lucky to be able to create something very different and very new, kind of from the books but really a new story and we were allowed to develop a character which had never been done before in the wizarding Uh world uh we worked with jk rowling all her people and universal and warner brothers and the filmmaking team in london it was a huge huge team effort but the end result is is really good and people are loving it yes well the reviews on it has been phenomenal uh obviously there's a lot of people The lines are still long, believe it or not. I don't know if you've kept up with it, but the line (laughs) Universal can't seem to keep up with the lines. They have to figure out they're opening it up in the middle of the day because the lines are so long at the end of the night that they don't have time to do maintenance at the middle of the night. So, yeah, so it's a popular attraction. So I have to give you credit for that. It's very good. I think it was a very clever decision by Universal and Warner Bros. To, to build a roller coaster, to go back to basics. And it's something that's very visceral, is the word I'd like to use. Um, when you ride it, you just smile the whole time. Some scream, some smile, but you want to ride it again and again and again. And that, for me, is a first, from my experience right. of the theme park world. I rode it five times in a row on the opening day, and I was just, again, again, please get me back on there. It was such mm. fun. Wow, that's so cool. So every time that you wrote it, did you have a different emotion or did you feel something different or was it the same uh, joy that you had each time? 
Well, I actually rode it every time in a different position on the on the train because it's it's very different. It's a, it's a motorbike and a sidecar, which is based on yeah. Hagrid's motorbike from the films. And really, I discovered that the the experience is so different in each each um, part of the the train. Um, the the motorbike for me at the front is the best. Just you are you are definitely driving that flying through wow. the forest. It feels so real. You totally forget there's a track under you. Just think you're flying. It's cool. So would you say that that is now your favorite uh, Potter attraction that you've worked on? I would say that yes. I, I know that's a bit kind of selfish to to not <laughs> kind of support my my offspring, previous offspring, but this is now my new favorite. Yes. Tell me, how did you get involved with this? You went from film to now doing theme park stuff. A big difference there. So how did this come across? Well, it was it happened. Oh gosh, many years ago, back in two thousand and seven, I think it was when um, I was working in London. Actually, I was working on a movie, The Bourne Ultimatum. Um, uh-huh. I'd finished working on the Harry Potter films and I'd gone off to do something different. And my good friend, Stuart Craig, who is the production designer on the Harry Potter films, called me and said, um, Alan, I've got this potential new project that might, you might be interested in. Um, it's to do a bit of design management and design work for a, a theme park for Harry Potter. And I was a bit taken aback, saying, my gosh, was, my only experience of theme parks at that time was English theme parks, uh-huh. which are OK, but they're, they're certainly not the U.S theme parks <laughs> so i initially came down met him met the universal team saw the plans and said yeah this is very interesting so started and initially i started for three months and here we are how many years later nearly 12 yeah. years later and i think i've spent the best part of eight or nine of those 12 years working on harry potter theme parks and it's been a brilliant journey it has been absolutely that, amazing that's funny so i guess you can say that uh, the harry potter exhibits are not done yet uh, no. i'm pretty sure they got a lot coming coming in in the near future, I guess. I think the there'll be plenty future. more to come. It's it's such a huge, amazing world, and there's so many parts of it we have not explored yet. And we've discovered that the way people, like us film people in London, the way people enjoy a film is they go to the theatre and they watch it, or if they get a DVD, they watch it on their television at home. And it's, it's a great experience, but actually coming to a place that's been built and is real mm-hmm. is a whole other experience. It's, it's again, I say visceral. You're, you're, you can feel it. You feel you're in the place, and... Okay, you're not meeting the characters as such. You're not going on their journey, but you're going on your own journey. And right. the reactions that I've um, found from people over the many years, I've been very lucky to work on these projects. That they they just love them. They love the place. They love they love the objects. It's all so familiar. Um, the world of Harry Potter is a familiar world. Like we, we we all know what castles are, and we know what villages are, and we know what old European architecture looks like, and we've recreated that in in a really lovely way. And now there are several new castles in America, compliments of J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's very detailed. I mean, you guys went in, I mean, very detailed from the drinks to the the food to the uh, the theming part of it to the conversations. Everything is just so elegantly placed. I mean, even to the artifacts in the windows. I mean, that's well, in we, how we, you... We, we approached it like a movie, to be honest. We, we we took the the way of building a theme park, which we learned from Universal and their creative team, but then we incorporated the filmmaking team as well. So we, we used our script writers, our set dressers, our artisans. They were all involved as well. So we really were making a bespoke replica of the film, but brought to life. So the same painter who painted the Hogwarts sets in the movie actually came to Orlando and trained the Orlando painters and worked with them. The same same sculptor who created the statues and details in the films created the dragon above Gringotts. He created many of the statues on wow. Hogwarts. So really the same hands touched all of it and, and worked very closely with the, the brilliant Universal and US teams to, to recreate this world. Like Massive learning curve for us because films are made so differently to theme parks. Films are mainly plywood, plaster and paint. You, mm-hmm. you don't actually get to touch them. A theme park you get to touch, so it had to be real, had to be brilliant. Well, you guys did a great job on that. I, I, I will definitely give you that. So here's a good question, because I know one day when I was actually at um, Potter, uh, Leaky Cauldron, actually, and some of the top Disney Imagineers came in mm-hmm. and had was just scoping things out. Now, this was prior to uh, Pandora that was opening in Animal Kingdom. So have you had any interaction with any of the Disney Imagineers as far as how you did it and um, so basically not, I want to say copying, yeah, you know, not really as such. I do know some of them and I know some of the high up people and I, it's almost a kind of a, a fun competitive thing we have going where 
Um, I, I do know that there was a term invented after we first opened the first Wizarding World that Disney folk were saying they have to potterize their uh-huh. attractions. And I thought that was really a nice compliment. And yeah. I remember when we did the first one in Orlando, I had gone to California after it opened for a holiday and I had been to Carsland. And I spotted virtually the same paint techniques that we used in Hogwarts in mm. Carsland. And what was funny is that Hogwarts is in Scotland in a very damp, cold environment. And it has a specific look, specific like lichens, mosses, which we put mm. on the rocks and they're very realistic. I saw those same lichens and mosses in the, the deserts of Carsland. So that, that's quite funny. So wow. I think we, we feed each other, really. We feed each other in how we do things. Um, Disney are an amazing company. Like they're, they're known globally for their standards and their amazing work and their new Star Wars right. land looks incredible. Um, I think it's a bit of a David and Goliath kind of battle in a way. Um, uh-huh. where we, are, we are David and they are Goliath. And I think we, we spar with each other in a way. But uh-huh. I really enjoy the universal way. It's, it's nimble. It's agile. You have to be very efficient. And I think it, it produces great results. Our collaboration does. Wow. So going back a little bit on um, the films, what, what exactly... I mean, because you've done uh, an assistant art director and you've and, and of course you're an art director. So what what is the difference between the two and what is exactly what is it that you do in the film? Well, in the, so the system that I was trained under was the, the UK film system. Um, I originally trained as an architect in Dublin, so I had a, a degree in architecture. And I started working in films in Ireland and I met a lot of amazing UK film teams. I thought I, I need to learn more off these guys. So I moved to London a long time ago and started working with them. And slowly you... It's, as I say, an apprenticeship system, so you learn in small steps. And the very first step is your, what's called a draftsman. You're drawing the sets. You're drawing windows and doors and building parts. The next step is assistant art director. So you're, you're kind of teaching the draftsman what to do, but you're also being taught by an art director. Then you become an art director after many, many years. And an art director's job is to basically manage a whole set or several sets. So, for example, on the films, I would have managed the, the Quidditch World Cup Stadium. So um, I was in charge of designing all the sets for that, all the various parts, working with the visual effects, special effects, costume, all the teams that have to work around the film set. So it's a very complex job that you learn a lot of great skills. And those skills really helped me out when I worked at Universal because I could kind of bring a new way of doing theme park work to them, a new level of detail. Um, Film art directors are very hands-on. We actually are there every minute of the time building and creating these things. And Theme park architects don't quite spend as much time as we would on an object. So I, I kind of forced the theme park guys to, to live with me on the site for several years and oversee every single inch of the of the land, every part of it, right to the top of the castle. It's all absolutely right. And um, I, think I, that's, I think that's where the personal uh, feeling comes from because it's so hands-on yeah. and it has that authentic uh, that authentic, authentic uh, touch to it yeah and you're looking at it trying to get it as an artist or what would it really look like so we base our designs on real places even though harry potter is a fantastical place it's its look comes from real places like real castles real buildings in scotland and england and many some from europe and we study how they built those buildings so if you compared hogwarts to a real castle in france or england they're very similar there's no tricks really visually. It, it, it all makes sense. If you're if you're a real builder or a real stonemason, you could look at those theme park buildings and go, wow, they're correct. Um, I had a funny story actually. When we did the Wizarding World in Los Angeles, uh, we were shooting a commercial to promote the project and a Swedish director was shooting the commercial and he, he said to me, um, so where did you get all the stones for the buildings? California is not really known for having a lot of stones. And I, I just smiled at him because he thought they were real buildings made out of real stones. <laughs> and this chap had been around theme parks before and I said no 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 this is a theme park and I think he was just absolutely fooled visually by the, the detail uh-huh. and it, it was really nice to hear that from a fellow European as well to be fooled in that way it was the funny thing is everybody knew that that building wasn't there two years ago it's brand new but yet it looks many hundreds of years old and that's to fool people that way is, is a real interesting experience I have to say. Yeah, and you're right, and you're totally right. Well, speaking of that, um, now, when you designed, like, uh, Hogwarts, did you guys use force perspective in mind, or how did you Absolutely. go across Absolutely. Um, Hogwarts is a huge piece of force perspective. So it's um, the real Hogwarts in the films would have been over a 1,000 feet high, 
um, which is quite a distance, where the, the theme park version is a little bit smaller than that, not a lot. But um, <laughs> basically, it's full size at the bottom, the first kind of 15, 20 feet. And as it gets up higher and higher, it starts to shrink. But uh-huh. very carefully, it shrinks. So it gets the point when you get to the buildings, they've shrunk quite a lot. They're probably less than half scale, maybe a third. And different parts of the castle are different scales. So we built a lot of models in London. We, we work with models a lot and out of cardboard and foam core and various materials. And we really study all the sight lines. It's, it's very scientific, I have to say, filmmaking and theme park design. We, we check every angle, make sure that any corner you walk around, you're going to see something special. And there's no, nothing gets exposed. So we spend a huge amount of time hiding things, hiding modernity, right. hiding the modern world. You, you generally can't see it in the Wizarding world. It's, it's like traveling to a different time. And in J.K. Rowling's world, the wizards live in a non-technical place. They don't have electricity. They don't have technology. It's all magic. So we had to recreate that that world. So now, do you find yourself going, you guys going back to um, the exhibits that are in London, the actual sets? Do you find yourself going back to visualize them before while doing the well, attractions? I have to say, I've kind of having worked around them so much, they're in my mind anyway, and I've, I totally understand the logic of them. So. No matter where I am at any time, I'm always reliving those moments and that that level of working in detail. Um, like the standards are A plus in London. You have to be perfect with everything. There's no there's no diminishing no diminishing of a standard. Everything has to be perfect, even if it's the top of the building or behind the building or inside the building. We treat everything the same. There's nothing is left undone. I have a question. So, from your original concepts to the finished products. Uh, does it feel as it should, or is it better? You know, it's it's funny when when you design anything, you have a vision and a, a plan, and it becomes like a, a child or a, a friend, and you want to realize it perfectly. But the journey to turning a, a a design on paper into a real place inevitably leads to a lot of changes, and many of the changes are for the better. I have to say, you, you oh. kind of learn as you go, and you improve things. You you change things a little bit, and it actually, I think, ends up becoming better in a way. Wow, that's cool. Well, so, so let's talk about JK for a little bit. So, um, I'm assuming you've had some great conversations and experiences with her. Um, well, yeah, she's a very um, hands-on um, author. She, every part of the Wizarding World, she pays attention to, no matter where it is or what it is. So. It's become so big now that she has this amazing, an amazing team in London that we work with. And through them, they help us guide the storytelling, the, the storyboards, the, the, whole, the whole mood, that, the atmosphere. Um, everything, they look at everything. They pay attention to every single detail. On the recent Hagrid attraction, they were even more involved. And it was fantastic because we could really triple check everything with them. Does this make sense? Does it, does it live up to the vision of the, the world as it is? And is our storytelling on point? And they they would she would talk to us directly as well, but mainly through through her conjures of her team. We could work yeah. on details live, and we would have calls every day. It was a very international job, I have to say. Like I spent a lot of time in Orlando, a lot of time in London, some time in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. traveling between all the various teams. I brought some more of the film team on. A good colleague of mine, Rosie Goodwin, who's a set decorator from the films. She joined me on Hagrid and helped place all the amazing props and all those little details that you see. So let me let's go back a little bit into the film. So you worked on Chamber of Secrets, correct? Yes. And then you worked on um, two of the other films. Yep. Was it the third and the fourth one? Am I uh, two, two, three, and four. Okay. Um, yes. And I have to say, my favorite is Azkaban. My favorite film of them all. Um, just felt it. The whole story took a slightly darker turn there. And I'm. I'm a little bit more gothic in my kind of tastes and I right. love the whole <laughs> darkness of the world and how the evil forces were actually rising a bit and becoming more menacing. And that to me was very special. And it kind of set the direction for the later films. After, uh-huh. on the fourth film, I had that's when I went off to do The Born Ultimatum. So really, I managed to do one more film and then I was back, but back working on the theme parks. And it goes back to where we started the whole project. So Universal basically moved to London to live with us for six months. So we set up a huge art department, as we call it, in Leaves and Studios in London, where the films are made. So we had two huge art firms. One, one art department was making the fifth film, and the second art department was making The Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So wow. the same people were going back and forth to each other, talking, watching, teaching each other. So in tandem, The Wizarding World was born at the same time as the fifth film. And then the sixth, seventh, eighth films all happened as we were designing 
um, Wizarding World in Osaka, and then Diagon Alley, and then early days of designing Hagrid. So wow. it's been a constant, a constant um, evolution. And I have to say, every time we do a Wizarding World, we try to raise the bar. That's a lovely term, raise the bar. And I think we, we get a bit more detail, a bit more experience in. And I think that's been very successful because it, just now the Hagrid reviews are, we've been told, are the, the best of the best. People just love it. It's, and, it's getting really positive feedback and votes. And yeah, that's pretty much where the consistency comes from then, I would assume. Yes. And I think employing the same people again each time helps because I could remember very clearly back to 2007. I know what we did back then and I can lessons learned. I can incorporate that into now. So if I was to do something tomorrow in any of the locations where the visiting world exists, I would I would bring back that knowledge. Uh, it's, it's very valuable. So do you find a, um, a difference in Orlando and Hollywood's version of Hogsmeade? Yeah, I think there's, well, really, there's an evolution in how we built it and um, my understanding of the technology of building theme parks. Um, movie sets that are plaster and paint, and we have amazing artisans in London and all over Europe who helped do that. I had to kind of teach a lot of the, what they call rock carvers. It's all made out of concrete. That was a new material for me to learn to work with. Uh-huh. And I think as I progressed from um, Wizarding World in Orlando through to Diagon Alley and then through to Los Angeles, it got better and better and better. And I, I feel that coming full circle now back to Hagrid, Hagrid has the most realistic rock carve or faux finishes. So it looks like a real building. It, it absolutely feels like an old European ruined building. And people are kind of stunned by it going, that wasn't there two years ago. Where'd this come from? How, how did they do it? And again, you get that reliving of the, the mystery and people's mysticism in their face going, oh my God, how has this happened? How can it be? So I think there's just the level of detail again that is very... Oh, it's awe-inspiring and that mixed in with the theme park thrill of a, a coaster and, and a ride it just all works together so well wow that's really interesting uh for a hobby i like to take landscaping photography yeah. so when you were talking about the detail of the hagrid's ride i could just picture you know the different uh photographs i would take because um like when i originally went into hogsmeade at orlando I felt like I was at home. I mean, everything was so magical. And just like, for example, if I were to take a picture of the rooftops with the snow covered on them yeah. um, against the sky, it looked like it was a postcard, you know, or if yeah. I took a picture of the castle from the side and one of the trees was um, like sort of in the view and then you had the sun creeping in just a little bit it looked like it could be a postcard too. So the way that you and your team designed it, I mean, it's just, it is truly looks realistic. Well, we, we, towards the end, as the, as the world's almost complete, we walk every inch of it. Again, checking sight lines, checking for views through to areas outside of the world. So in Orlando, we'd be looking towards Jurassic Park or looking to the lake or looking back to the entrance or the Sinbad area, making sure we're hiding as much as we can and making sure you're fully immersed in the wizarding world. We want you to feel that you're actually in Scotland. So we use nature a lot for that. Um, it's a bit of a cheat, actually, because Hogsmeade in the films was meant to exist high up in the Scottish mountains, mm. above, above the tree line and in permanent snow. That's why there's yeah. snow on the roofs. But we had to kind of allow trees in the background to help soften and hide um, a lot of the more modern shapes that the theme park environment would have. I did not know that. That's really interesting. So, yeah, there's so, all little things. That, that's the kind of level of detail that we, we check everything. So what was the process on you guys uh, doing the food? Like, I mean, I'm sure you assisted in how you guys were going to create the flavors of the food and the drinks and all that stuff. Was there but, was um, it a big yeah, process? Yeah, we worked with a couple of great guys in Orlando, um, Fran Dowd and Rick Florell. And these two guys, when I first met them, they had already read the books so many times. And they uh-huh. had a million little post-it notes in their books calling out all of the, the scenes and words to do with food. And immediately they started talking about, Alan, we have to go to London and visit restaurants. So we did that. We flew to London. I took them around and showed them British restaurants and Scottish restaurants. And we tried like proper fish and chips, uh-huh. proper, uh, like just all the amazing foods that we have. And if things we had to invent, we then started that process of invention. So a lot of food tasting, we'd ship food to London for JK Rowling's team to taste, for all the film team. So like creating butter beer was a huge challenge. Like what is butter beer? How do you, <laughs> like, that, that was one of the biggest challenges. But then we had to create all the sweets 
for honeydukes and we had to create all the foods for the three broomsticks and all these amazing um, like puking pastels what do they taste like so we had to really go deep into all of this and it was a really fun journey like I often fly from London to Orlando with a suitcase full of food English food for them to prepare in Orlando and, and taste um, there's a funny thing I brought over once so in in England and Scotland with fish and chips the English like to have a thing called mushy peas have you ever heard of mushy peas I have yes so yeah mushy peas are interesting you're they're a bit of a love it or hate it thing so I brought a lot of mushy peas over and it was decided in the end that maybe it was a step too far for Florida, but we tried. <laughs> we tried. Ah, well, peas, period, are a step too far, in my opinion. That's just, <laughs> it. Sometimes peas can have a great flavor, and then sometimes it's just like, eh. Yeah. You know. Well, um, well I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pea fan, so I, I wanted to promote them. I, to, <laughs> I tried. Well, I'll say my favorite was um, in Diagon Alley at the Florian Fortescue's, yes. the butterbeer ice cream. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, actually. The I ate a lot of ice cream that year. Good job I was walking a lot every day because <laughs> I, could, I could burn the calories. I think I was walking. I was literally walking because we were building Hogsmeade Station at the same time, back and forwards, maybe 15, 20 times a day. I, I, on my um, phone, I could see I was doing 15 to 20 miles every day walking and wearing out shoes like you wouldn't believe. Uh-huh. So then I could eat loads of ice cream and fish and chips. I was very happy. Yeah, we did that whenever um, Universal did uh, a preview for the employees or or the people that were working in uh, Diagon Alley at the time. And we had the taste testing. And so that's pretty much what we did for a couple of weeks was tasting all the ice cream, all the food and everything else. And it was just like, OK, this is wonderful and great and all. But, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get to walk around as much as you did. So we had to yeah. figure out we had um, to go to the gym afterwards and work that stuff. <laughs> off. Well, I have to say as well, like when you have lovely ice cream every day, you kind of go, OK, I've had enough ice cream. <laughs> but then there's yeah. more. It's kind yeah, of like that thing. Exactly. You think if you get a job at an ice cream factory, you go, wow, I'm so happy. But then after like two weeks, OK, no more ice ice cream that's enough yeah well you know it was good because the employees actually had to um learn the food so they can present it to the guests when they walked in and the the most iconic face that you would have when a guest would walk into fortescue's was they would see the um the chocolate chili and they would start their face would be like what and it it, you know the chocolate chili actually wasn't that bad it wasn't my all-time favorite Hmm. but um it was it wasn't actually that bad and believe it or not as time went on that became a popular flavor that people would buy it's it's interesting how um also you have such a a global audience visiting these theme parks that um somebody from england might not like it but somebody from brazil might like it so you all these different taste buds and different um dietary senses that people have they would go for very different things and i think this is another thing how we were surprised how successful the food at Wizarding World is because everybody loves it. And some of it is very specifically British or Scottish, but uh-huh. yet it, it works. People really, like, a lot of people have never had fish and chips before. If you come from some countries, you have no idea what, the, what this strange fish and chip dish is, this British right. thing, but it's very successful. You know, could it be like it's part of the theming? So maybe the theming helps enrich. I think so. I think well, if you're, if you're, especially if you're a huge fan, you want to, not only touch the world, you want to taste the world, you want to really immerse yourself in it. And I love watching people, especially in the restaurants, whether it's Three Broomsticks or Leaky Cauldron, um, they come in dressed as a student, a Hogwarts student, and they just, they're yes. in such bliss and they've got a wand and they sit there and they could be any age. They could be a six-year-old to a 70-year-old uh-huh. and they're sitting there with their, their feast, their chicken feast or their fish and chips or whatever they're having, their um, cottage pie. And they're just, Loving the moment, absolutely loving. It. They're they're in Nirvana, I think, for a moment, and it's it's really nice to see that. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. speaking of leaky cauldron, here's a question that I have to ask. So there is the the small sign right outside of leaky cauldron. The 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 I they use it as an exit door, but it's the main hall door. If you yeah. care where I'm at, is that sign actually purposely supposed to leak? Yes, that actually deliberately <laughs> leaks. So yes. that was one. Of, that's kind of when. That's kind of when theme park humor interjects with film humor. So we're very serious as film people. Like we, we tend to treat every moment of humor with great study. And we kind of go, Does that, is that a, the right thing to do? Would we have done that in the film? And sometimes we, we wouldn't want to have done that, that type of thing. But we kind of realized it works so well in an environment like a theme park where you can just go that little bit further. 
uh-huh. and make another experience for somebody to spot. Like not everybody sees it, but suddenly somebody goes, "The leaky cauldron," and it's leaking. And it's exactly. kind of funny. It's a funny little thing, and it's just they're like that term Easter eggs, which I had only learned right. to like start mm-hmm. working in theme parks. That's an Easter egg, and they're everywhere. There's uh-huh. there's um like if you go to another example, the record store on the London front of Diagon Alley, um all the records in the window are all records about us, the team that built the the park. So right. I have a record. Um, all the various Universal Creative team have records each, and we all have. Um, there's a record called Man Stamp. If you ever look at it again, that's my one. Uh-huh. Oh. And that was an in-joke because I had to stamp every single drawing and every single object for the whole project for Warner Brothers. And there were thousands and thousands of items to stamp. And wow. people would listen to me in my office going, dunk, 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 just for hours stamping. <laughs> so the the records came about. We were trying to decide what to put into this record store because you, we couldn't use real records. It's very difficult to copyright. And what would be the right one to use? So we decided right. to create our own, and it was a really fun thing to do. And throughout all the worlds, there are lots of these little details that are hidden that involve sometimes the people who built the place or created it or just people who are associated to it. And it's a really nice thing to immortalize details that way. So speaking of that section uh, out in the, the London section yep. over at Diagon Alley, the phone booth. Now, we have I've heard and we have not been able to figure it out. Can you call a Ministry of Magic through that? You can. There's a code you type in. I can't think of the code off the top of my head. Oh. If you type the right sequence of numbers, yes, you will get a message. Wow. See, we haven't been able to figure out the code neither. And that's the one thing we'll have to research on yes. is find yeah. that code. But no, it definitely, it's definitely there. Absolutely. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, well, let go back. I want to go back a little bit and uh, going back into the films. Now, you did uh, Chamber of Secrets, like I had said, and then you yeah. did the three and four. Now, Chamber of Secrets was directed by Christopher Columbus, yes. and um, obviously, three and four was not. Was there a big difference between Christopher Columbus's style of filming compared to the others that did the? I think the I think yes, there was. Um, especially he, when he made the first film, he established. A style and a look for the world. Um, uh-huh. He works very closely with Stuart Craig, my friend, the production designer, and Stuart Craig designed all of the films, so that's an absolutely consistent thing through. Um, J.K. Rowling insisted that the same people would be part of the team the whole way through the whole series, so it kept it very, like the theme parks, kept it very consistent, it had a very good look. So when she wrote a new part in a new book, the right people would know how to create it, like magically Hagrid's hush would move around and that kind of thing would happen, but it was all done very well and very logically. Um, Christopher Columbus, his atmosphere was probably a little bit brighter and a little bit happier in a way, kind of more of yeah. a, I a, could see more, that. a bit more of a Disney feel in a way. And uh-huh. I think what happened after he left, when the third film came along and a new director started to come in and then the arrival of Alfonso Cuaron, who just brought this whole other visual logic and visual style to the film. And I think he was the start of an amazing journey for the films and it, it all just kind of clicked to that point that, like I said earlier on, the darkness started happening and it became really, really interesting. Um, yeah. I think Chris, Christopher's films were great. They, they they started the world, but it was a very clever idea to change out the directors then from that point on and give us new energy and new direction. And you say that, and, it, and I'm thinking it makes more, it kind of does make more a little bit more sense, something I didn't really see before, because you guys had to, you had to change Dumbledore's because the other one had passed away. Yeah. So with changing, having to change a new, to a new Dumbledore with a new director, it kind of made him fit better. Yeah. It, and we, we then, we kind of use that, it's a bit like you said, like when, when you design something first, does it end up exactly the same at the end? The film's. Uh-huh changed in a way as we made them because we learned we could do these things so we learned we could move architecture around we learned we could create these other strange events strange details and whether that be in the lighting the film work the camera work the design work the costume work everybody was putting something in extra or different and kind of starting to create this slightly new tapestry of the film i i I, if you compare potters say to avengers films avengers films tend to all look very much the same Yes. Um, even though they have completely different teams making each of them, where the Potters were made by exactly the same team, but yet they feel different. It's kind of the reverse in a way. Uh-huh. And that was really interesting when we were, say, for example, when I'd come back to to re- redesign a certain scene when JK had rewritten it into the next book and we had it in the new film, we, we were looking at, can we change this a bit? Can we do something different? And we'd often try and do just little things to make it that, that little bit more interesting. Wow. 
Hmm. So are you working or do you have any interest of working on the newer films that she's working on? Um, well, I actually I kind of I'm, I've through doing Hagrid's that happened when they were doing the first and second fantastic piece. So I was very busy at that time. And I'm also back in movies as, as well at the same time. So I'm trying to I'm walking two worlds at the moment. Um, my heart is in movies and I think it's it's a skill set I want to keep alive uh-huh. because my movie background really keeps my brain working in a very interesting way I, right. I if i only do harry potter theme parks forever i think i would probably go a little bit stale so i need to have the ability to explore different stories and work with different creative people to to make my mind work at its best right right Understandable. And, and i've noticed that um you've worked on some different films too like x-men first class yeah and, I've, and, and johnny seen, english yeah. yes yes um, recently a science fiction film and last year i worked on a Florida horror movie. So kind of, you name it, I've done a bit of everything and it, that keeps us very interesting. You've got Crawl coming out. Crawl comes out tomorrow. And um, I think tomorrow, Friday. And yes. it's getting amazing reviews. Funnily enough, we actually made that in Europe, the whole film, and it, you will think you're in Florida. So that's the magic of movie making. If we can bring Scotland to Orlando, we can bring Florida to Serbia, in a way. Right. It's, it's, it's a really funny kind of different world. Like Movie making is just so different to theme park design and building. And I want to try and keep both those worlds alive if I can. And when you go into those different movie uh, projects, do you get a different feel each time? Or do you go into it like you're going to experience something else? Well, I think there's a, there's a big difference between movie making and the theme park world. For example, a movie has a very strong director and who choreographs the whole world a movie has um, actors like you have to work with them and how they live out the whole motion of the script a theme park we don't have the actors or the director it's it kind of ends up being all about the creativity which is lovely for us art department guys to Mm -hmm. to be in charge but to follow the lead of an amazing director and then work the choreography of the actors out it's just it's a very special experience and it, it really keeps your mind working at its highest level. So I, I like to do both, as like I said. Um, I, I love both worlds, but I don't want to only do one or the other. I want to do both if I can. Right. So did you ever imagine that Potter would be this huge? No, not at all. We, when we, well, I remember my friends were working on the first one. Um, I was, I think, on X-Men or something on the first, or John English made one of those. And there was words that they're making this film about a wizard boy in London and because like, oh, we're not sure if that'll catch on. So they, they made the first film and it went down, as we know, to be a global success. So we all started on the second one and we just kind of felt this was going to go all the way. And the books hadn't even all been written at that time, but we knew she was writing more books and we were just salivating, thinking about what's the next one going to be like? What's the amazing new story she's going to tell? Right. And it just became this great, great journey for many years. Now, Speaking of that journey as well, when you started, when you guys started building the first Potter in uh, Orlando Hogsmeade, did you imagine the opening day? I'm sure you were there on the opening day and saw that massive crowd. Oh no, I was there. I was actually standing on the back terrace of Three Broomsticks, and um, I were watching the news that morning, and people were saying, "This is this is crazy. This has never happened before." Said, Why? What's happened? And we were looking at the crowd all the way out to the parking structures, cars on the I four. Uh-huh. It's like yep. it's like it's like the Beatles had come to Orlando <laughs> yeah. for some amazing concert. And I remember we would stand at the back terrace of Three Broomsticks and we, for, for a joke, we'd wave our arms and several thousand people would wave their arms back at us from across the lake. And it was <laughs> the most strange feeling. And we're going, this is what, this is what it feels like to be a rock star. Because wow. they're just all like this crazy, huge momentum of a crowd all in unison, cheering or screaming or waving. It was Amazing. And then when they got to the opening moment, I was standing inside right by the butterbeer cart. It was amazing. Just absolutely. I'll never forget that. Well, yeah. I mean, Universal had to open up the parking garages at four in the morning because the cars were already backed up on I-4. Mm. And uh, no, it, just, it was and nobody expected that. In fact, it was no. a bit of a shock. I think they didn't realize how big Harry Potter was, how big it had become. No, they were totally unprepared for it. And I don't blame them because even looking at the pictures and experiencing that for yourselves, it's like, okay, four in the morning, the parking garages started filling up. The lines started moving to the park. The lines were circling around Universal City Walk all the way on the Universal side itself. And it was hours and hours just to get in the park and then hours to get in the land and then hours to 
basically ride the ride. Basically, yeah, shoulder to shoulder with people trying to get on the rides. Yeah, and it, it was, it, I was. Uh, those people were so dedicated. The first fans who came in and the first guests, absolutely amazing people. Exactly, and if you look at the aerial photos of all that, not just inside the land, but as Chris was talking about in City Walk, and then even out onto the interstate. I mean, that's something that yeah, probably wouldn't see in a really long time. No, no, I think it was a almost a one-off experience. And to be honest, I think Universal didn't want it to happen again, but they didn't want to try and have to handle it again. So they, right. the release of each further project and world was done in a slightly different way. Even when Diagon opened, it was a slightly l- smaller opening, more low-key. They just didn't want all those people to turn up again. I think it was kind of, let's let them in slowly over yeah. the coming years it'll be here a long time they can enjoy it and i think they've like even well even when hagrid opened that a few weeks ago it was a 600 minute wait on the sign wow. a 10 hour wait and they didn't expect that either <laughs> it's kind of oh my god how do we how do we tell people you're going to be waiting 10 hours just to get in well you know even with jk i'm and you guys all together you guys have to be patting yourself on the back to to even sit there and go okay i can open an attraction uh, so many years after the last film has been released and we're still drawing that type of crowd. I mean, that's an accomplishment right there. I think it's just, I think like it's the constant achieving and raising the bar and keeping the detail level up. It's, it's just not letting go of that. And I think people almost come to expect it now and they want to see the next version. What's the next version going to be? How's it going to be better? And uh, that's our challenge. Um, we have to find new ways to tell the stories. Like we've, we now have Hogwarts. We have, Hogsmeade, we have London. They're the three main places. We now have to explore other parts of the world. And that's our new journey, I think. Right. So with your family, do do you bring in your family to see these exhibits? Oh, absolutely. And what do they think well, about it? Yeah, they, they lived in Orlando with me for four years and in LA for two years. So um, they've actually lived in the US. My kids have lived in the US more than they've lived in Europe at the moment. Wow. <laughs> um, so my daughter was born in Orlando, so she's American. So she's got three passports. She's like a little... Um, little Jason Bourne character, a little international <laughs> Um uh, So I'm Irish, so she's got an Irish passport. She's, my wife's British. She's got a British one through her and her American passport. Now, and, are they um, Harry Potter fans at all? Um, to a degree. Uh, you know, kids are fans of whatever is the most popular media right. at the time. Mm-hmm. I, like, definitely they are Harry Potter fans. They're also fans of many other worlds, like the Marvel Universe. What child doesn't love that? Or what person right, doesn't right. love it? It's fantastic. So... That's a huge part of our, our lives. But I think Harry Potter is the huge part. Of, but they just think it's normal that Harry Potter is here, there and everywhere, and that they spent years around it. They, they've lived a very abnormal life, not realizing that not everybody does what they do or has lived that life. It's, I hope they look back on the time we spent traveling so much and, and really smile about it. Well, they'll definitely be able to share it with grandkids. That's for absolutely, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh-huh. no, it's not over. So I, I hope to do it many more times and, um, I just have to kind of find that good balance of life. Um, right. It's, it's it's a great world to be in the media and entertainment world. You, you do can you can travel a lot. Like I'm traveling now again, and sometimes I just want to be at home for a few weeks or a few months. But right. I, I get that every you. so often. So do you? Will there? Do you think there'll ever come a time to where you'll just say, okay, I'm completely done with Potter. Absolutely no more Potter at all. Even if they want to continue. No, I, I think I'll always be part of it but I, I think it's time to let some new people in as well I'm, i've encouraged the fact that they should bring some new people in from our world to to help keep it keep it very fresh because i i don't want just the alan gilmore version of harry potter to be everywhere there should be a few other people involved to to kind of liven it up like we have several projects i can't talk about on the go that i've brought some colleagues from london over to florida now to help out on and it's very exciting really exciting time Wow. So plenty more to come. Plenty more to come. Oh, well, we're definitely looking forward to it. Yes. So tell me about the relationship with the cast. You have a relationship with JK, and I'm sure you guys have a great bond with the cast um, from yeah. the films. I think we get on really well, Like even especially through all the, the various projects we've opened, because we get to meet the same guys time and time. Um, I've got a good friendship with Tom Felton now, which I didn't have on the films, but now uh-huh. I, well, he was a little boy when we were on the films. Now he's a right. grown man. and. Mm-hmm. We get on really well. Like we see each other at airports quite often, wave at each other. He's flying one direction, I'm flying a different direction, and get to hang out with him every so often and just have a little bit of a chat and a bit of a fun night. Um, when we did the the early launch for Hagrid, we we had a great night in Orlando filming, and he was really funny, just really entertained everybody. And he's a real cool character. He lives in uh, California now. And yeah, I've heard that. Wow. 
So, so what does an art director do when he's not working? What, what do you, um, what, what do you, you like to do? You don't really turn off, to be honest. You're always thinking <laughs> about art direction and design. Like I'm a huge design fan, so whether it's contemporary design or past design, I have a huge furniture collection, which I bought a lot of furniture in the States, which I shipped back to London. I'm a big fan of mid-century. Um, I've bought things in California and Florida and Palm Springs. Oh, nice. My house is too small for all the stuff I have. I think I've got like <laughs> 40 chairs and six tables and God knows what wow. else. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> too many things. I'm a huge fan of um, the American designer Charles Eames. So I've had a lot of Eames and I wanted the real deal. I wanted the American version, not the not the American European version. So I collect a lot of that. But anywhere I travel in the world, I tend to just get into the local culture and collect small items. Now. I'm trying to collect small things, just little memories. Wow. Yeah, so one thing I thought was really interesting was, and going back to Hogsmeade um, in Orlando, um, and I guess you could also say Hollywood too, um, generally people picture it daytime, but also at nighttime, you also manage to capture that same magical feel um, with the lighting. Um, how did you feel about that? Well, we spent a lot of time designing the lighting, so we worked very much in a theatrical way with cold light and warm light. So at nighttime, even if it's 80 degrees or 85 degrees in Florida late at night, you will feel cooler in Hogsmeade or in, Ho- in your Hogwarts. You have that lovely blue moonlight on the yes, exterior of the roofs. Yes, and we're talking the about the photography, lovely, yeah. it, that comes out very well. Yes, indeed. And then you look at all the buildings and you've got that lovely gas light or candle light in all the buildings. So we had, we, had to, we had to mimic that older lighting technology where people's homes were illuminated with oil or candles or maybe gas. So it, it all flickers. Um, it all works beautifully. I, even all the windows in Hogsmeade have a, a texture on them, like old glass. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. it ripples and it just gives that more romantic feeling of an older time, a, a past time. And I think that lighting and Diagon works really well there as well, as we can really bring the place to life at night. And I actually, I almost prefer the place at night. I, I really yes. feel much more immersed. I do too. Mm-hmm. I it, do too. It has sort of like a calming feel to it, but it's also like you can just whims around, I guess is yeah. the word I'm looking for. Um, and one of the artifacts that it sounds kind of silly to me, but you have a snowman that has a scar- a student scarf on it. Yes. And a, and a witch's hat, I believe. And that's something that would not really exist in the films, but we, we introduced it in the theme part because we felt it was right. It was an interesting object. It, it tells its own little story that maybe the students built it one afternoon when they're in the village. And mm-hmm. I, I really like that kind of extra level of storytelling. Right. And mm-hmm. it's good. Well, here, let me ask you this. I'm going back to the dragon for Diagon Alley. There's so many rumors that circulate around that dragon. Was the dragon originally meant to move other than blow fire? Well, we would love for him to have moved, but he's huge. <laughs> I think his right. wingspan is like over 100 feet. And we soon learned that the the extreme weather conditions of Florida would have caused a bit of an issue if we had his wings moving or his head moving. So we settled on him breathing fire, which we thought was a very strong experience. Uh-huh. And it has proved to be amazingly strong. Um, everybody just stops. You know, when you stand in Diagon Alley and the sound, everybody knows it's about to happen. And it just everybody looks up and then there's that huge roar. And there's a huge cheer then when it happens. Right. And I love that. And every oh, yeah. time I've seen it, I get the same feeling really positive smile i love that well that was the biggest question that we got at linky cauldron when is the dragon gonna blow uh fire it was, that yeah, was the gosh, biggest yeah. one and people would just stand in the middle of the street or, or in the middle of the alley and they would yeah. just stare up and just keep on waiting well, <laughs> where in the world can you see a huge dragon breathing fire there's not many places right mm-hmm. exactly and then the detail of uh green gods Oh my gosh, the detail of that bank is just unreal. That was well, it's, amazing. It's an absolute replica of the film set, um, but even bigger because we never built the film set all the way to the top. Uh-huh. So that was our chance to build the whole banking hall and then all the amazing corridors and rooms and spaces. Um, but, and even the rides, all the scenes are beautiful. It's, it's a really interesting place to journey through. But the banking hall is, is great, the, the, um, the bank staff. Uh-huh. counting their, their money and just seeing them all move they're so well done it's a really great room so so okay talking about that now you guys have the familiarity with the the set building when it comes to the animatronics and so forth did you did you have a learning point on how you were going to do the animatronics compared to 
what you've learned from building the sets? I mean, building well, the land, you have we, the sets. We, we do quite a few animatronics in the films as well. So, like, for example, the... Do you remember the baby Voldemort? It's a, a strange little creature that was in one of the films. That's a very complex yes. animatronic that we built in London. So you can see that at the Leavesden Museum. Oh, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a very realistic animatronic. In fact, the challenge with movie animatronics and theme park animatronics is they, a theme park animatronic has to run for 15, 20 years without breaking mm-hmm. down, where a movie animatronic generally only runs for a few weeks. So right. we, had to be, we had to kind of engineer then at the theme park animatronics on a much higher level. And it's very, that was an interesting journey to, to learn about that and how it's done. Um, we built a lot of them in Vermont, so I got to spend a lot of time in beautiful Vermont um, in the winter and summer. And really interesting people t- telling the stories of how they do that and what they've done in the past. It's, it's a fascinating whole other world. Wow. So, okay, so here's going to be the ultimate question everybody wants to know. What house are you in? You know, you're not going to believe this, but I've never sorted myself. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I know. I know. <laughs> I d- I've deliberately kept out of knowing what house I am because I want to be, I want to float above the world in a way. I don't want to lock, lock myself into a particular house. Or a particular, that makes sense. I mean, you're an um, art director, so yeah, I, mean, I, I have to be, have the I have abilities to, of each one then. I need to be anonymous and have all the abilities. I feel... Um, like I'm a I'm a Gemini star sign, so I think I've got multiple personalities anyway. Oh, so wow. I, I can I can live all the houses in one moment if I have to. Yeah, see, I'm a Gemini too, and I did sort myself because I was supposed to. But um, yeah, what, and did you, what are you? I, I got Ravenclaw, and that's not okay. the one I wanted. Uh, one I see, that's the other I issue I had. Yeah. Yeah, I was wanting to be Slytherin. That's where I felt I fit more in with Slytherin. Yeah. And that's funny because I'm a Cancer sign. And the one that was chosen for me was Slytherin, but I wanted Ravenclaw. <laughs> oh, see, that's I think that's my issue is I don't want to be chosen. So I think again, I will not be happy with the yeah. the sorting hat and what it tells me I am. And I, I just feel that I want to be outside of the houses for as long as I can and just watch right. them right. and study them. Like because I get to design all their environments many many times over, and I love like a ghost going in and out of their worlds and just watching how they live and. I don't want to be too locked to one house and it might stifle my ability to create the other places. Right. Wow. Well, Alan, um, again, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I mean, this has been such a great conversation and the work that you do is more than phenomenal. I mean, I, you have to be very proud of your accomplishments and it shows and the world sees it. And and thank you for bringing your magic to all of the fans and, and to us. I mean, we've experienced it firsthand and it's, it's, I'm speechless. I don't know how else to describe it. It definitely uh, portrays what it needs to. Well, I'm, I'm really thankful for everybody who come and visit the worlds we build. And I'm thankful for universal and JK Rowling for creating these places and, inviting me to be part of it because it's not just me it's many 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 people and there are thousands of individuals inputting in so many ways right down to the guys who are working there right now just showing guests around and making the place feel real so it's it's a huge 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 team effort well it definitely shines because everybody everybody i know every time i encounter somebody from a different part of the country Oh, Harry Potter, have you gone? Have you gone? Many a times. Many a it's times. It's great. I love that. I love that. They get intrigued, yeah. even yeah. with a little bit yeah. of work that we've done in it. They get intrigued about that. And well, it's great to be part of it. We're, we are all part of it. And there's so much to the world. And like, I don't know everything about the world. Like, I often get asked questions I can't answer. I really wish I could answer them. But, right. you know, it's, it's up to people to explore and create their own version of the world as well, I think. Well, I have to say to you and your team, thank you for bringing theming back into theme parks. Yes, I agree. Because that's exactly what we, I mean, Disney's done it for a few years, but they've lacked on that for a little bit. And I think Potter definitely gave that back to the theme park world. And for us that go and experience theme parks, to those that work in theme parks, they appreciate it a lot better. Um, You know, that's the part of their life that they enjoy. Yeah. So thank you for that. We... Not at all, not at all. I think, again, I'll say thanks to everybody in the theme park world because it gave us filmmakers a chance to go do something different and to kind of show our skills in a different way. Um, filmmaking is quite an anonymous world to be in. People don't know how films are made often. They, they know there's sets, they know there are costumes, they know there are special effects, but they don't really get to see it too close. And 
we've been very lucky to bring our art form to life through these projects. So it's, it's fantastic. Awesome. Wow. Well, we, again, appreciate it. Well, Alan, I thank you for your time. I thank you for your work. And uh, we definitely look forward into some of your future projects coming yes. up and more Potter, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So, yeah. So, all right. Well, that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us. Alan, again, thank you. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Thank you so much for the conversation tonight. It was brilliant. Who knew all the details? I have chills. I mean, that is just amazing, right? With all that personal touch and effort and time and organization, that's the reason why millions flock to the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Yep, they do. And you know what? Alan is still a great guy. You know, always been a great guy. Even working with him, meeting him when I met him the first time in Hollywood and in Florida, it was still an amazing experience. And this was even a bigger experience with him so i was excited it's exciting it was a great interview in my opinion i agree um one quick thing before we go though uh we're going to talk back a little bit about nickelodeon studios they used to have a time capsule that is correct that they put uh in right in front of the studios when it was there yeah they did a ceremony and everything on television yeah i don't remember the ceremony but i do remember the time capsule don't know what they did with it i think it would be interesting to find out maybe we'll find that out one day and do it later i don't know but uh yeah i want to thank you guys for coming and listening to us yes thank you that always excites us (laughs) alan gilmore thank you my friend for coming on you were amazing as always we look forward to seeing you again and maybe talking to you again but um it's been a great episode what about our life with chris and will another episode coming up next week another guest another topic so um But you know what, Willie? We got to go. Thank you, Potter fans. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, everyone. We love you. We love you. We love you. But it's time to go. Bye. Bye.